Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Living free. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Hi, I'm Bill and with my show co-host Mitch, would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and acknowledge that this land was stolen and sovereignty was never ceded. Each week on The Living Free Show, we showcase one of the many programs that assist in recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. My guest today is an alcoholic who's recovering with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I'd like to welcome Carol to the show. Hi, Carol. Hi. Um, Carol, you came on the show back in December 2020, so it's great to have you join us again. Thank you. Uh, Would you like to start... Uh, by telling us uh, a little bit about how long you've been recovering in AA. Yeah, thanks very much. Uh, well, good afternoon all. Yeah, look, um, yeah, where do I start? Look, um, I was first uh, introduced to uh, Alcoholics Anonymous now back in 1989, which is obviously a while ago, and um, I didn't take it very seriously. Um, I was sort of in and out of the rooms for a little bit, But then, um, you know, I just found myself that uh, by 1990, I was absolutely, uh, you know, right for the show. And, uh, you know, the right people, I believe, uh, way back when, um, you know, were placed in my path. And uh, I had no qualms that, uh, you know, that I was an alcoholic because the way that I conducted and I lived my life um, was absolutely appalling. There's no other way to put it. you know, I was to encounter alcohol at the age of 14 and, uh, you know, I thought it was a magic elixir of life and, um, yeah, I just sort of went with it. You know, I found people much like myself and uh, back in the day, you know, everyone drank and everyone just uh, lived to drink. So, you know, I just went, uh, you know, I just went with it and, um you know, God willing, it's been uh, up to the, you know, up until today, 32 years, and uh, I couldn't even go 32 minutes without having alcohol in my system, uh, with the help of, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous and the right people, and um, a hearing. You know, it's mainly not the people. The people can't keep me sober, but, you know, it's always been the program, um, and just keep coming back to regular and frequent meetings. That's what's worked for me. Uh, you know, having that contact uh, outside of myself, which uh, I endeavour to do. Um, you know, I put my hand up for service and I try to do the best I can, you know, with uh, the program of, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, the program does work if you work it one day at a time. And, um, yeah, I don't take it for granted. I know that if I don't uh, do what's suggested... Uh, you know, I can easily return back to problematic drinking. So yeah. 
I don't want that lifestyle back. So, yeah, I mean, it's an honour and a privilege to be here today and sharing, you know, my experience, strength and hope with you people that are listening. And, uh, yeah, so... Right on. Um, Okay. Awesome. We might take you back to the beginning. So do you want to talk a little bit about early family life and, um, I guess, your exposure to alcoholism? Uh, yeah, well, family life uh, back in the day wasn't the best. Uh, you know, I came from an extremely dysfunctional family, I guess. Um, you know, now that I review it, um, my father back in the day was uh, quite a tyrant uh, person and uh, he ruled the roost. And my mother was um, just went, you know, along with the flow, I guess. But uh, she wasn't, uh, you know, an alcoholic. But my father drank quite excessively. And uh, by the time I got to 12 or 13, you know, I, I'd already tasted, you know, alcohol. Um, I was given a large bottle of uh, Fosters and, uh, yeah, I just thought, where's this stuff been, you know? It lit me up like a Christmas tree and, uh, you know, I just really, it wasn't so much the taste of alcohol, it was mainly the effect. Do you want to talk about that effect? Oh, the effect was, you know, euphoria. You know, I'd put it in my system and uh, it was like just all cares and worries had, uh, you know, been put on uh, on the ledge, I suppose. And, uh, yeah, you know, the effect of it was just uh, I couldn't get enough of it. Mm. And I, uh, you know, I drank to, as I said, you know, incomprehensible demoralisation even at a young age. And, um, you know, I just couldn't wait to do it again. Yeah. And uh, Carol, sorry to interrupt, Bill, when you say that your father was a tyrant, uh, would you say that there was a, a fear in the house at some point or not oh, to the, act up? Oh, there was a lot of fear. Um, even though he was an extremely hard-working man, he loved to drink, especially on the weekend. So he would come home and he'd rant and rave and, you know, as a child growing up, um, you know, I lived in a lot of uh, fear, the same as my mother. Uh, back in those days, you know, they didn't have uh, such support groups as Alcoholics Anonymous or Al-Anon or, you know, anything like that. So we just had to weather it through. And, um, yeah, my mother was so much in fear. I believe that my childhood was robbed of me because she kept mm. me by her side. Um, I had an older brother. He's now passed on, which was uh, four years older than me. But he... Um, he was in fear too, so it affected mm. all facets of our life. Mm. So, what about school life? Was school somewhere? Oh, school school to go? was very difficult. Mm. Um, I managed to get through primary years, uh, you know, obviously, and then, uh, you know, I got to uh, high school, and, um, you know, I could never really concentrate. You know, I'd always be looking out the window and. I couldn't apply myself, even though I was told by teachers, you know, she shows potential, but uh, she can't commit or apply herself. So I struggled in that area. And, um, you know, again, I found uh, girlfriends and friends at school that drank. So it just became part of the norm. So, yeah, just floundered through school, I guess. I was to reach uh, the academic level of... Um, Form 5, and uh, I don't know how I did that, but I did it. And 
by that time, you know, it was weekend drinking. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just sort of scraped through things. But I was a hard worker. So mm. when I left school, um, I applied myself to work. I was always able to get work. and But it was only real to, to fuel my addiction of, uh, you know, alcohol because... Every weekend, I would just rip into it. So, yeah. so do you want to talk about a typical weekend then as a teenager for you? Or uh, once you were working, I mean? Once I was working, well, you work from Monday to Friday. And um, by that time, at the age of 16, I'd moved myself out of home because I couldn't live at home because I was just uh, constantly feeling that I wasn't accepted or wanted. So I moved in with a girlfriend's family over in uh, Black Rock, and um, I worked in a licensed grocers, which is, um, I don't know if they still run them now, but uh, yeah, it was, you know, uh, I, I could quite apply myself, you know, in that area. I worked in the delicatessen and um, just whatever I, I could put my mind to, I could achieve. But yeah, the upshot of that was just... Um, I would get, uh, I work Monday to Friday flat out and then come Friday or even Thursday, it started to creep in where I started to drink and my friend's uh, family were drinkers so it was just part and parcel of life. Yeah, I think that's the thing that people don't realise that um, drinking families are very common and a lot of kids that I know um, sort of found that if you went to another family that also drank, it was pretty much the same. Mm. And there was a lot of people who did that. And so it wasn't uncommon. So you didn't feel like you were different or there was something unique happening. No, I didn't feel, I mean, I didn't feel like a square peg in a round hole. You know, I felt like I blended in, that I was accepted. uh, I was more accepted in someone else's family than what I was in my own. Yep. So I really learnt from a young a young age how to fend for myself and uh, I did quite well. You know, I achieved, uh, you know, a lot of things and, um, yeah, just went on, you know, but kept drinking. The drinking was always in the equation, you know, it was always there and uh, that's what we did, you know. We, we worked to drink yep. and, uh, <laughs> you know, I didn't sort of put my hand up in school and say, yes, I would like to become an alcoholic. You know, but... Uh, Who does, I guess. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, you know, teachers would say, you know, what would you like to be when you grow up, Carol? And I'd say, oh, I don't know, really, you know, and... Uh, and just you know. on the teachers as well, when you were told that you've got potential, but, you know, who, who knows, basically, how did that make you feel at the time? Oh, well, it made me feel elated. It made me feel my self-worth sort of scored and... Uh, I felt really uh, confident, which I'd never really felt because at home, uh, you know, coming from that type of environment and that type of family, there was a lot of put downs. So I never really felt that I I amounted to much. But, um, yeah, being told that by teachers, uh, it certainly encouraged me. Mm. So how did it affect your working life? Well, it didn't affect my working life for a long, long time. You know, Mm. I've had uh, corporate jobs along the way, you Mm. know, and, uh, you know, I I would start from the bottom and I'd work really, really hard to I'd achieve, you know, managerial, you know, positions and, 
you know, I'd become like managers in places and things like that. But I guess back in the day I was pretty shifty, you know, as yep. we are. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'd always be watching the clock and come the time of, uh, you know, to close shop and things like that, I couldn't wait to get down and, uh, you know, get with my own kind, I guess, and start drinking. And it was many a times I went to work and I'd be hungover and I'd be sick. I'd have massive skull-bursting headaches and I'd think to myself, I'll never, never do that again, never. And I'd always be looking outside of myself, blaming, saying that if I didn't associate with this person or that person, this wouldn't have happened or that wouldn't have happened, you know. And I I don't know, I was pretty immature back then and I just wouldn't take ownership of my own life. It was much easier to hand it over to someone else. And, um, yeah, just kept, you know, just kept going, yeah. just kept going. I think immaturity is a... a uh yeah. significant issue in alcoholic families and, and alcoholics uh, mm. and, I guess, drug addicts. And any any form of addiction, it's, this, it's somebody else's mm. problem. If they fixed up, I'd be okay. Yes. It's not me. It's never me. No, it's always <laughs> like look outside of yourself or there's an old saying, you know, you, you point the finger and three will point back. But, yeah. yeah, it's much easier not to take ownership of my own problematic conditions, I suppose, and you know, offloaded onto someone else, uh, you know, a poor innocent victim that mightn't even be in the equation. But, you know, I just felt freer when I just vent, you know, vent my anger or frustration mm. yeah. frustration or something like that. Yeah. So so what about relationships then? How did it affect your relationships? Oh, there'd be far and few. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there was always the, uh, you know, the alcohol behind it. Um, I did, uh, I have been married twice. Uh, unfortunately, both husbands now have uh, deceased or, you know, passed away. Um, I married at quite a young age, at the age of 24, and uh, was to move uh, to Queensland from Melbourne and set up uh, a house up there with his family, which were quite, uh, you know, heavy drinkers. And I was, you know, just off and running again. Uh, unfortunately, that relationship or that marriage didn't work out and I had a young child um, and I left that marriage and I walked away from a house, car car, and a caravan and I just, uh, you know, it was all about the alcohol. So I took a, a three-year-old child and uh, I jumped on a bus and uh, I came back to a women's refuge because I had no other accommodation and uh, from there had to start over again. You know, it was like nothing meant nothing, you know, because it was all about the alcohol. It didn't matter what I acquired acquired in life. Um, it was, you know, it was just how much alcohol that, you know, I could get. And I believed to myself, I guess, in my own insanity that, you know, by moving from, you know, interstate that I could set up, you know, again and things would be much better. This and that wouldn't happen. But being the person that I was and that I am, I guess, uh, I always found like-minded people like myself, even in a, you know, women's refuge. I yeah. I found, mm. you know, I, I sought out, um, well, I didn't seek out, they see, sought me out. But, you know, again, I found people that... Um, liked uh, the beverage of alcohol 
Yeah. And uh, when you first started drinking with this family, did it remind you of drinking with your own family at all? Was there any similarities in terms no. of environment? No. No, it was totally different. Right. I felt much freer. I felt much open, you know, that I was open, that uh, I, I was able to run my own race. Nice. Okay. Well, uh, we might take a short break. Um, we've got a couple of announcements and a song. I'll just put those on and we'll get back to you soon. You might have heard about the Community Radio Plus app, but it's only when you start using it that you'll wonder how you lived without it. You can listen to us wherever you are, at home, work, driving, on public transport, gardening, protesting, or even in the bath. Just search Community Radio Plus wherever you get your app. Global Intifada, bringing you current affairs through revolutionary and protest music from around the world. Every Thursday afternoon from 5 till 6 on 3CR. Because music is our bomb.
that was Jade McRae with Kirk Fletcher on guitar, and the song was called Out of Sight, and that was courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial, and 3CR on digital radio. If you'd like to listen to one of our many podcasts, you can find them on your preferred podcast platform, or just Google 3CR Living Free and check out our website. You can also contact us via phone or email. Uh, today I'm talking with Carol and talking about her alcoholism and recovery through Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so Carol, before the break, we are talking about doing a bit of a geographical back to Melbourne this time and um, and finding yourself in, I guess, a similar, similar situation um, with people who are fond of alcohol like yourself. Mm-hmm. So how did that change when you got back to Melbourne and had to sort of recreate your life with a three-year-old? Well, I must say that it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't easy. It was very, very difficult. Um, Yeah, I just found that, uh, you know, going through, like, you know, a refuge, um, there was a bit of support and I was able to get myself into, you know, accommodation and... um, you know, I really struggled, uh, I guess, with, um, you know, a young child as I was still, you know, um, a practising, you know, I was still practising. So I was trying to juggle her care and her welfare, uh, you know, in between my drinking. And um, it really didn't work out too well because uh, even though she's well established today, um it had a detrimental, you know, effect on her, you know, well-being. Um, so, yeah, I just sort of went from, uh, like, the women's refuge into uh, Ministry of Housing and uh, I was in there for seven years and it served me well. But, again, being in that type of environment, you just walk out the front door and, you know, you've got rows and rows of, uh, you know, people that like to... Uh, you know, drink. So, yeah, uh, yeah I found that she was uh, quite gravely, you know, neglected because uh, it was all about getting the alcohol. And, um, yeah, so from there I was able to try and establish myself and uh, I would put her in childcare and from there I would, um, you know, go to work. And uh, I worked extremely hard. And uh, I was able to, uh, you know, build up a bit of a savings and um, I was able from there to, uh, you know, buy a small property and, uh, again, you know, it still didn't deter me from drinking. You know, it fueled, it just fueled, uh, you know, my addiction. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's fortunate enough that uh, I guess, you know, she's come out the other side. Yeah, it's very difficult to... Because drinking is 100% focus, isn't it? And having anything else that gets in the way is a problem. So Mm -hmm. did you find that? that Oh, extremely so. I mean, I had uh, all the best intentions and, uh, but, you know, become, you know, it started to, my illness, uh, you know, of alcoholism started to creep in earlier and earlier and more frequent and more frequent, like... I was only like a weekend drinker and then it started to become, um, you know, two or three times a week and I couldn't curb it and I couldn't stop it. And, 
yeah, I mean, I just, I, I was non-functional. I mean, I was there physically, I wasn't there mentally and, you know, emotionally. So um, all of her needs were, you know, put on the back burner because uh, it's not easy to uh, being, you know, practising, you know, like drinking and being a mother and trying to work and, yeah. Yeah. And uh, can you talk to us a little bit about the moment or what led to you seeking out help and when you knew that you perhaps weren't there physically and emotionally for the people in your life? Well, it took a long, long time. You know, it took uh, many, many years before I would even, uh, you know, concede to my innermost self that I had a problem with alcohol. I used to always think that I was in charge, that I could uh, stop it when I wanted to stop it. But I didn't have a choice, you know. It is a slow, progressive, insidious, cunning, baffling and powerful disease. So I just found for myself that uh, I started to, you know, to uh, doctor shop. I started to frequent, you know, doctors. And, um, you know, half the time I'd be intoxicated, you know. I'd roll up there or I'd rock up there and uh, I'd be half cut or half charged Mm. and... They said, what uh, What brings you in today, Carol? And I'd just say, oh, I need some... I said, I've got... I knew then that I was starting to have a problem with alcohol. And uh, They back, could tell that you're intoxicated as well? Oh, half the time they couldn't. Okay. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'd have bottles outside of the doctors and everything, you know? Yeah. And uh, it wasn't a good look, I suppose. But, uh, I mean, that's how I functioned and... I would just say to the doctor, I need, um, you know, something to quell my nerves and I've got anxiety, I've got uh, stress, I've got this, I've got that. And it started to get really, really serious because I ended up in, um, you know, uh, psychiatric hospitals through drinking. And in there, they didn't know back in the day how to uh, treat alcoholism. So they just masked it with uh, massive amounts of tranquilizers, And... Um, I'd, uh, you know, be in there a few weeks and uh, I'd be so, like, bombarded with, um, you know, amphetamines and things like yeah. that that I, was, I don't know how on earth I'm still breathing, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not addressing the problem, is it? It's just no. numbing, numbing it. And then they'd place me in front of doctors and psychiatrists and social workers and they'd say, what seems to be your problem? And I'd say, well, I was rebellious. And I'd say, well, you're the doctor. You should know, you know. So, again, they they, they didn't know what to do with me. So, um, you know, back in the day, they just, you know, hand out pills like, you know, I guess like their lollies. Yeah, and yeah. I would just swallow them and uh, I'd sleep for a bit and I'd bounce back up and I'd be off and running again, you know. Mm. So that was my very first encounter you know um i ended up in places like moorland hall and uh you know again the the writing was on the wall uh i just were were they better at picking alcoholism um, that's the problem well it's not for me to say really Uh, i don't know uh obviously it they knew you know they knew that I, I had a problem, but yeah. until the person wants to accept it themselves and put their hand up and ask for help, I mean, it never ever, you can't, I can't get them to do it for me. No, so, no. But it took me through 18, re, you know, rehabilitation centres, which were 
I don't know if I'm allowed to mention the names or anything, but I better not. But anyway, yeah. it took me through 18 rehabilitation, um, you know, de- detoxification centres and hospitalisations repeatedly. And it was the same scenario, you know, what brings you in? And half the time they'd say, walk the white line, and I'd be all over the place. And, hmm. you know, I just thought it was hilarious. You know, again, in those places, find people like-minded like myself and, you know, say, oh, wh- oh, what are you in for? I'm in for nerves or I'm in for this or that. But it was never classified as, you know, alcoholism. And what hmm. was significant about the, the 18th place that you went to? I was just so physically, mentally and spiritually, I was bereft. I was Mm -hmm. gone. You know, I knew that I was on death's door and if I didn't stop drinking, I could not turn my life around, you know, because I just, I drank, you know, for 24, 25 years. So, yeah, I mean, by the grace of God, I'm I'm still here today and it's been 30, 32, about 32 years and... I don't know how, because I had to have something in my system, you know. It didn't matter what it was. The first thing I woke up in the morning was how I was going to get alcohol. And, um, yeah, it took me on a whirlwind, you know, expedition. I mean, I can go on and on about what happens in your drinking, but, you know, it took me to absolutely hell and back, blackout drinking, bender drinking, not being responsible, not being accountable, trying to juggle housekeeping money and just uh it was all spent on alcohol so Mm. how i've come back from that i don't know Mm. you know so i mean i do know but yeah yeah, it's a program it's a program of alcoholics anonymous because as we know there's no human power that can relieve my disease it must come through a grace of god or a power greater than myself and um you know, today it's a ritual, you know, I, I have that honest desire. I, I never say never, you know, because it's only one day at a time reprieve. Yeah. Um, so during that time then when you were in and out of institutions and hospitals and detoxes, what was happening with your daughter? Oh, she was all over the place, you know. It was very, um, what was happening for her is that she was... Pulled from, pulled from pillar to post, I guess. You know, she was, uh, I would offload her to um, anyone that would really take her, you know, as sad as it is. Um, I couldn't be responsible for her care. And as much as I, and still love her, I just couldn't find it within myself to, you know, I didn't know how to parent. And... Um, I had to, in later years, go and do, you know, a parent's, um, you know, program to learn how to become a parent. I suppose uh, at the time that would have been the best option for your daughter. You know, you realised that it wasn't the best. Yeah, well, I think it was, well, it was the best option because, you know, she was, um, I remember one time when I was full on drinking, there used to be a place in Carlton called Toto's and I blacked out and left her at Toto's at two or three in the morning and she would have been only at the age of eight, you Mm. know, and that still haunts me today. Um, You know, I found myself that uh, I was around at a friend's place and I was around at a party and I forgot she was there. You know, I blacked out, I forgot that I had my daughter with me and um, the upshot of that was that she was placed in a centre called Alambi, which is uh, 
a child the child protection services and they placed her in there for uh, I think six months until I could get myself together and from that I went into another like rehabilitation centre and tried again you know I kept trying but um yeah even today you know we're still estranged and I feel really sad or bad about it but time is time and yeah it's just it's just the way it is I suppose mm, yeah okay well so we might take another short break uh I've got a song this one's by Ben Walker in vocal collaboration with Amy Hannon and it's called Just Not Country Enough hope you enjoy it Just not country enough. If you 
Ah, that was uh, Ben Walker with Amy Hannon, uh, Just Not Country Enough. Uh, this is The Living Free Show on 3CR Digital Radio, live streaming on 3cr.org.au, and we're talking with Carol about alcoholism and her recovery through Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so, Carol, would you like to talk about your introduction to AA and, and how that changed your outlook on life? Yeah, thanks very much. Um, my introduction to uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, as I said uh, you know, earlier in the show, was back in 1989, um, and I was led through that via a rehabilitation centre. Um, it was suggested that I do go to the rooms of you know, Alcoholics Anonymous if I want to stop drinking, um, so, yeah, I got to the rooms and um, I didn't take to it, you know, first off. I was sort of um, quite sceptical. Uh, I viewed the fact I'd drunk more than they'd spilt and uh, I was very arrogant and I was quite rude and uh, I had a few, uh, you know, lessons to learn. But by the time of 1990, because I had unfortunately gone back out and... It didn't get any better. It got, you know, progressively worse. So the last stint, yeah, I was hospitalised and uh, I was told repeatedly, keep drinking and you'll be dead by the time you're 40. And um, I took heed of that and I came, I came back quite seriously. I came back with an open mind and uh, I became willing, you know, I just became willing to just listen, you know, nothing more, nothing less. And uh, I didn't know back then how sick I was. Um, I was very impaired through, you know, my drinking. And um, the right people back then were put in my path. You know, they crossed my path. And, uh, yeah, they took me under their wing and they would take me out for coffees and they'd take me out for a bit of lunch and, um, you know, a bit of a chit-chat. And uh, I thought, oh, these people are friendly. And uh, that's really that all that sunk in. But... Uh, you know, they just encouraged me, no matter what, don't pick up the first drink. And, um, you know, no matter what's happening, no matter what's happening in life, and just keep coming back. You know, they said, do the meetings the way you drank. And I drank like there was no tomorrow. So <laughs> I found myself that, uh, yeah, I would just, uh, I, I started my, my journey of, you know, recovery. And um, I did the meetings, you know, regular and frequently, you know the way that I did drink and uh, it started to become slowly ingrained in me that it was the first drink you know it wasn't the 10th or the 20th or the 100th it was the first one that if I didn't pick up the first drink it doesn't set off an allergy and a compulsion where I get the taste and um, I, I have to drink it out regardless of all the good intentions of all the good thoughts I have all the commitments I just have to drink and drink and drink. So um, they suggested, you know, uh, to look at the program, they suggested to get, uh, you know, plenty of phone numbers and I took heed of that. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know, it just became a way of life and it still is today. Mm. Um, there's nothing magical, nothing, you know too complicated about it it's quite simple really you know if I've got that honest desire deep down inside never to revert back to type and I keep I keep uh, you know my day my program in daily compartments and um, 
you know, I have to hear the vital message because I came to Alcoholics Anonymous because of my drinking and I remain in Alcoholics Anonymous because of my thinking. You mm, know, it's, yep. that's how it is for me because a sick head can't fix a sick head and I didn't really know how sick I was. So I was told, you know, just stay on the first step, which is, you know, powerless over alcohol and life is unmanageable. And it took many, many years for that to really sink in. And not that I drank, but uh, my life was and still is, you know, in disarray. And I've got to really continue on working at it just to have that freedom. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it just seems to gel, you know, as long as I don't drink. And I keep returning to the rooms and um, I find the connection. Part of the disease wants me to be isolated. It wants me to be alone. So when I get, I come to the rooms, um, I have the connection with other recovering, you know, alcoholics or people that want to, of like-minded people like myself. So when you mention it being a, uh, a way of life, can you talk to, we were talking a little bit between uh, the break, on the break, about how it's a daily thing and you take it one day at a time. Yes. Can you talk about your daily process back then when you were figuring it out and today? Well, I didn't know how to figure it out, you know. Sure. I didn't know how to, you know, I didn't know how to figure it out because my whole life evolved around alcohol. So I had to swap alcohol for, uh, you know, the rooms of, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous. I had to say, you know, anyone can do this for an hour, half an hour, you know, as long as they don't pick up the first fatal drink. Mm. And... You know, the days come into weeks, the weeks come into months, and the months come into years. So it does work if you, you know, if you are, I mean, I used to get a calendar back in the day, and I'd tick the days off, and then I'd unfortunately bust, and I'd have to start again, and I just wore myself out, you know. But um, I don't know, by the grace of God, I just, I I don't know, it just seemed to to work, so. yeah, yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about the desire to drink? Do you, do you still have the desire to drink, or has that left you? Um, well, it's hard to say, really. I mean, I don't have that that phenomenal of craving that I had in the very beginning. Um, you know, and I've had a lot of things to weather to stay sober. Like, I've had two husbands pass away. I've had... Um, you know, a brother passed away last year, both parents have gone and a consecutive of friends have died from this disease. So there have been obviously triggers that, not that I want to drink, but, uh, you know, the thought might cross my mind when someone seems, you know, pagarious or they seem happy, joyous and free in their, in their drinking, you know, it might cross my mind for a split second but I know what's waiting I am an informed you know I am an informed alcoholic and unfortunately if I was to ever ever revert back to type I don't think I would make it back so the upshot of that is that I have to keep very close to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and the people that um, instill in me about the first fatal drink and I've also seen people unfortunately bust and come back and some haven't made it back. That's how serious it is. And how does it fulfil you being able to help other alcoholics and being in service to these people now? Uh, well, it is a very filling, you know, fulfilling, um, you know, accomplishment. 
just to take yourself off yourself, you know, because I have a head that still, uh, you know, can elude me. So by trying to help the next sick and suffering alcoholic, uh, it frees me of myself, you know. I know that I can be of service even at my later stage of life now. Um, I'm still, you know, handing over. I'm still doing service and I still... And very much a part of, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm. And that's what holds me in good stead. Mm. But it's not to say that um, I'm saved. It's not to say that I'm safe, you know. Um, I've got to keep, I've got to keep, uh, you know, trudging on, I guess. Do you want to talk about relationships now that you understand yourself and your situation? About, is, is it easier for you to have meaningful relationships with other people um well to be 100 percent honest uh because of my years of drinking it has um impaired me to have i guess a full total you know relationship with someone um i just find that uh i still have my defenses i still have my walls up but um I do have, you know, I guess a handful of friends and, you know, if I, if I was ever in dire straits, I guess I, w- I would reach out, you know. But, um, yeah, I mean, to have drunk for so long, I don't get out of it unscathed, you know. I've paid no. the penalty with health and I've paid the penalty with, you know, relationships, you know, mm. because in it's just hard. I don't know how people do it, <laughs> and I've mm. got to learn. I'm still learning. I'm still a pupil. So yeah. 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 So what about family then? Reestablishing. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, yeah family. Well, um, I'm estranged from my daughter, which is pretty sad, but uh, it's the way it is. Um, I have two grown sons. One of them is here with me today. His name is Andrew. I don't think he'll mind me mentioning his name we have a you know a reasonable relationship you know we're able to uh, talk about things amongst ourselves and um you know i've got another son and uh he's doing quite well for himself so it's not the best you know relationship but um they have their individual journey too they know of al-anon i took them to you know alateen when they were younger so they have a little bit of an understanding of it and because now they're older i mean i have to let go of the apron strings i guess yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. um so work then are you still working or are you just oh, well i still i'm still um how can i put it i'm still uh i've still got a job but i'm just not called in Okay, so right. I don't know what what that's about, but I've had, as I've mentioned, I've had uh, health issues, so I've had multiple hip replacements, and um, yeah, I just have to look after myself a little bit better. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm still a worker, and uh, the door's still open if something comes along. So yeah. And going forward, uh, where do you see yourself in a few years' time? Do you have any goals in regards to your affliction and? things you want to fix specifically oh that'd be good yeah <laughs> well i wouldn't mind wouldn't to get the nice. tats lotto numbers uh, <laughs> no uh oh well i see myself um 
maybe moving, you know, to a warmer climate. I see myself, um, yeah, just a bit more established um, and just a bit more peaceful and contented, you know. It's not, uh, I don't have major, you know, ambitions, but just to have a more functional, you know, life. Yeah. And is there any advice that you would give to anyone struggling with something that you struggled with or if you could give yourself some advice at the time when perhaps you could have needed it? Well, that's, yeah, a really good question. Um, well, the only thing I guess that I, I can put forward is that Alcoholics Anonymous for me does work. And um, if you are struggling with alcohol, um, you know, there is a way out and there is a way up. As long as you, um, you know, don't drink, try not to drink, come to regular and frequent meetings and just try to be open to the process. Yeah, and I guess that's a really important thing as well. It's not to lose hope. And, you mm -hmm. know, there is always a way out, even at your darkest, darkest moments. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, is there is there anything you would like to perhaps embark on if you do move into a, a different state or a warmer climate or in regards to work, perhaps? Uh, not sure at this point in time. I'm just, I'm just open to, uh, yeah, what's, what's available, I suppose. Uh, things come and go, you know, jobs come and go, people come and go, but, you know, um, as long as I'm striving to try and improve myself and be in in better good stead. Yeah. And um, we spoke a little bit before the show about uh, a higher power and a guiding light, perhaps, to get you through those really difficult moments. Can you talk about your own relationship with that concept? Yes. Well, it's something that I had to really work on um, and still work on it because by the time I got to AA, I was uh, certainly an atheist and I had no beliefs or no concept of a higher power. Because I believed that if um, all of these things had happened to me along the way, where was God? But, you know, my higher power, or God as I understand it to be, has always been there. It's just that I wasn't um, availing myself and I wasn't open to uh, the process. But it's something that, um, you know, is very much an individual thing. I can't sort of sit here and say, uh, you know, tell someone about, you know, spirituality and higher power. It's something that has to be sought out by the individual. And in regards to meeting someone new and having those walls up, is it perhaps a goal to let people into your life easier? And oh, well, if you can tell me how to do it, I'll do it. <laughs> Here's the handy book, you know. Yeah, no, um, well... I'm still open, you know, I'm still, uh, you know, receptive that there's something or someone out there, you know, but it's all in accordance to what, you know, my higher power has um, has mapped out for me, I guess. Um, but, yeah, I just go along my own way and um, I'm grateful to have my sons, you know, especially Andrew. He's a very, uh, you know, encouraging person to me and... Um, yeah, just, uh, you know, it's just how it is, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's the thing. Um, being able to live, I think, is the important thing because before recovery, it's about existing, yes. surviving, and you can actually start living, which is great, yeah. Try to. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, well, that's about all we've got time for. Uh, so if anybody would like to find out more about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can phone them in Australia on 1300 222 or jump online at aa.org.au for more information on recovery and the available meetings. Um, I'd like to thank Carol for sharing her alcoholism recovery story with us and talking about how Alcoholics Anonymous has helped her recover. Thank you. Oh, thanks very much for having me. Pleasure. I hope you'll be able to join us again next week uh, when Anne will be talking about recovery from addiction and compulsion. Uh, coming up next, we've got Balanwa, The Spirit of Wa, hosted by Uncle Tolgum Choco Edwards. Join Uncle Choco in The Spirit of Wa on a journey of belonging and movement through sing-alongs and yarns. Uh, thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.